What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s, John Morantz, Joe Johnson's, John Raffs, of course. We've got Jays. We've got him for days. Josh, how you doing? It's snowing outside. Mm. I'm slightly displeased. Not I'm entirely, it. but slightly. It is exciting to see. It's also getting cold. And mm. Not exactly a winter person. So I'm I'm very much into the idea of if it's going to be cold, it's might as well snow. Like there's that's, nothing that's valid. Like I sure. grew up somewhere where it was capable of getting to 33 degrees, but not consistently capable of getting to 29 <laughs> or 28. And thus it was just cold and rainy and gray in the winters. And if it's going to be cold, either be cold and sunny, because that's fine with me, or be cold and snow. If it's going to, if you're going to bring some sort of precipitation Mm -hmm. with it, I prefer it be snow. But it is, it is funny how where you grow up changes your thoughts on all of these things. You're, you're exactly right. I mean, snow is a novelty around here right and it's more of a hindrance for me <laughs> right where where you're from if it if people stopped every time it snowed you never get anything done <laughs> that's correct yeah very very and we would we would we would get school canceled just for the the idea of snow it didn't even have to snow just the the prospect the of maybe it's snowing tomorrow could 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 get school closed but if it's snowing, that means we're we're deep into the winter and thus deep or getting deeper into the college basketball schedule. And one of the better weeks of the entire season uh, is wrapping up right about now. It is early on November 26th, uh, early in the afternoon on November 26th. Um, and the Florida Atlantic owls are 36 seconds away from a just absolute dusting of Virginia Tech. And that was about the only thing that we needed uh, to see happen was uh, the winner of the ESPN Events Invitational. And uh, and that's uh, very shortly going to, going to end. So Feast Week is basically in the books, and that means it's time for some winners and losers from a week of college basketball all over the country and all over you know, the Western hemisphere, really um, down in the Bahamas and Mexico and Hawaii and, you know, in New York City, all over the place. And we'll try to boil it down uh, to some winners and some losers and and talk about what happened this week. Josh, anything else we need to get into before we get into our winners? Nothing major. Yeah. So we we do have a couple games that have not finished yet that we're just choosing to not include in in our analysis here but we have plenty to discuss so it will be fine yeah i frankly don't care about the outcome of texas a&m and iowa state i just i just don't especially care um texas is playing i suppose that we'd like for them to take care of wyoming but other than that that there's not a ton that could change the list that we have right now with that being said josh who's your first winner of these week to me there are two very clear ones the first is Villanova. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure there was a team that has legitimate aspirations of being top 15, you know, possible final four, those kind of things that needed to have a successful tournament more than Villanova. Just based on 
it hasn't necessarily been great. Obviously, you lost to Penn. <laughs> we talked about after that game, that's just not a thing that happened under Jay Wright. We talked about this idea of they didn't look like Villanova. Is this really a bigger problem than just last season where some things were kind of strange and you and I were both willing to give Kyle Neptune a pass? Well, they beat Texas Tech, North Carolina, and Memphis. All three of those teams then won their other two games of the tournament. That's helpful. They beat Memphis so badly in the final. I don't know if I've ever seen this. ESPN gave up on the game. Did mm-hmm. you see that? <laughs> I did not see it, but I was, after seeing the halftime score, was certainly not surprised. Yeah, it was just funny to me because I had recorded it and I was watching and I went, it it didn't finish. What happened? Oh, the other game was starting. I think it was the Baylor-Florida game. Mm-hmm. And so they just said, we're no longer, this game is now at ESPNU or something because obviously the beginning of Baylor-Florida was more interesting than what was happening. So that was a real positive. The biggest thing for me, though, is specifically in that Memphis game and in the first half in particular, since that was when the game was decided, the psychological intimidation part was back. This idea that if you don't show up and play with intensity, if you don't take care of the details, if you don't take care of the basketball, if you don't put in the kind of effort you need to to win, you are just not beating Villanova. Their ball, and then it looked like Villanova, right? Ball movement for wide open threes, a bunch of guys knocking them down. They had a couple really nice, I mean, Lance Ware even had a really nice pass. Their defense was spectacular. They were just fundamentally sound, all of the things you expect out of Villanova. So to me, that is the biggest, maybe the biggest development of the week is the idea that all of a sudden, now, It's early. It's not like it was the best competition you could possibly ask for, right? They didn't run through three top 11 teams like Purdue. But to go from how I was feeling about Villanova entering this tournament to where I feel now, big, big week for Kyle Neptune. The biggest thing for me here is momentum. I don't really care about that. You could tell me that the three wins they got could get better over the next four months. You could tell me that they get worse over the next four months. It's not really about... Like, I'd feel just as strongly about the importance of it, even if it didn't have the Bahamas battle for, you know, the battle for Atlantis tacked on to the side of it. I don't really care that it was a tournament win. But this is the, this is only the second time in the Neptune era that Vanilla, Vanilla, Villanova has won four or more games in a row. And last year, the stretch was Oklahoma, Penn, Boston College, St. Joseph's, and St. John's. I'm not exactly... None of those teams jump off the page. And so it is easily the most impressive stretch of the Kyle Neptune era. And for the first time in his you know year plus as the head coach... There's very real momentum. Maryland, Texas Tech, North Carolina, Memphis. That's the stretch that we're on right now. And we talked about how this was an important season, not necessarily from a will Kyle Neptune be fired at the end of this season or not, but just from a setting the tone when it comes to what the Kyle Neptune era at Villanova is going to be like. And, you know, Jay Wright, Jay Wright could lose 11 games in a row and nobody would ever be talking about 
like, is it time to get rid of Jay Wright? And I know that that's not something that Cal Neptune can achieve in a year or even, you know, in two years. But there's something to be said for a coach that can lose games and can go through rough patches and have not have people call for his job immediately. And if and if Neptune didn't have a good year this year, and of course it's early, they could go on a 10-game losing streak now. I don't know. That could, that could happen. I would not bet on it after what after the way they played this past week. But there's very real momentum for the first time since Cal Neptune took over. And I think, like as you you know, you pointed out all of those other things. But that's that's I think that's really important for someone like Neptune who was kind of was you you know people were just had kind of had their ears perked up when it came to his tenure at Villanova and that Maryland game was supposed to be really interesting. And Maryland has just not been as good as they were supposed to be so far. Right. So it's not even like that really answered the questions, which is why this tournament was so important. Like you said, not necessarily because you win the tournament, but just, you have these opportunities to beat these quality teams and they did. So generally speaking, pretty convincingly. Yeah. There's just a whole level of confidence in a, we actually might be really good. Look what we just did. That's the the biggest takeaway here. I definitely feel different. Well, I am returning to the confidence level I had previously in this team. Yeah, I think that's probably the the best way to put it. Like we probably we being the collective college basketball world probably overreacted to Penn a little bit. And it's not like I'm higher on Villanova than I was before the season started, but we're much closer to returning to that spot and to seeing, you know, how many different ways that Villanova can hurt you, which is what their roster preseason was communicating. Um, Eric Dixon was awesome this week. Um, 21 points, average 21 points and eight rebounds at the battle for Atlantis. That's, that's functional for sure. And now they've got plenty of momentum. You know, they, they've got a couple of testers before the beginning of big East play, they'll play Kansas state and they'll play UCLA before, you know, at this point, the big East season, the big East conference schedule starts in the middle of December. So we're only getting three more looks at, at Villanova before they, they jump into, into the gauntlet that will be the big East this year. Are they one of your winners as well? They are indeed one of my winners. Um, next on my list of winners is Elijah Martin. Hmm. Elijah Martin, you know, FAU kind of takes care of business in a real way at the ESPN uh, events invitational. We just mentioned it at the top of the show. Florida Atlantic 84, Virginia Tech 50. And you could make Florida Atlantic the winner here. Um, I'd have absolutely no issues with that because if anything else, it gets people off of their backs after a little bit of a lackadaisical start, slow start, whatever you want to call it to the season. But I specifically point out Elijah Martin because that was kind of the thing that we were, that we needed to see change like very specifically, like it was time for Elijah Martin to get, to get going his first three games of the season, 20 total points. One of 10 from two-point range, four of 16 from deep. That's not great. And he completely turned it around this week. Um, 
at the ESPN uh, events invitational, it was 13 points against Butler uh, on not a great per- shooting percentage, but it was much better than it had been. And then he had 25 points uh, and really his first coming out, you know, party of this season against Texas A&M. He was four of seven from two point range, five of 12 from the three point line, uh, seven rebounds as well. in that one easily his best offensive rating of the entire season and would have been one of the better ones from last year as well. And then in the title game that just wrapped up, he had 17 points, eight rebounds, four assists, um, five of nine from the field, three of four from the three point line. It's, it's a lot easier for everyone else to get going when someone like Elijah Martin is, is, is playing well. And that kind of opens up a lot of things for Florida Atlantic in this way of like, there are just a lot of guys that are going to beat you. Like none of these guys are going to end up at the end of the season with, you know, six or seven more points per game than somebody else, but kind of that, you know, all of the weapons that they have like golden, of course, Elijah Martin, John L John L Davis, Jalen Gaffney, the, 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 the strength was with which they like across the board can hurt you is, is, important and also when someone like martin's not playing well kind of makes that kind of approach a lot weaker and clearly they're a completely different team when he's playing well yeah my second one i cheated a little bit i made it the aac as a whole specifically fau and memphis this idea that you came in okay memphis off to a good start a couple decent wins let's see what they're made of against high level opposition, three straight games, FAU, right? Bad loss, all this attention. This is one of your opportunities to get some really good wins because you don't have Houston in the AAC anymore, right? You kind of have each other and that's about it. And they combined to go five and one Memphis, obviously not a good performance against Villanova, but outside of that, you're picking up ranked wins. And from the FAU standpoint, a lot of what you just said, can you stop the bleeding a little bit? Can you make whatever thoughts people had about that loss, maybe a little bit of an overreaction and look like one of the top 15 teams in the country. That's exactly what they did. That's a really good win over a Texas A&M team that didn't have the best week and obviously still have one more game to play as we're recording, but is a very good basketball team. You blow the doors off of an ACC team in the final. That's always nice on the Memphis side. I did want to talk about this for a second because I'm very interested in this team and we haven't really talked about them. Javon Quinterly, Caleb Mills, and David Jones is some kind of trio to have at the mid-major level. I know Memphis doesn't, you can argue whether Memphis operates as a mid-major program. They're kind of in that weird spot where they're not really a mid-major, but they're also not Gonzaga. But that is three established high-major guys. This is a very... Of course, this is Penny's first talented team, but this is a very, very talented, very experienced team that has been good so far outside of that one Villanova game. So I'm very curious about that, but ultimately the AAC has two teams. Both of them showed up and really helped themselves and the conference as a result with what they did this week. Yeah, Memphis was was on my list of possibilities as well. Um you know, for me, when it comes to Memphis, it's it's much more about 
about a finite number of opportunities to get good wins. Mm -hmm. They're not, like you mentioned, they're not Gonzaga, so they're not able to schedule the type of non-conference schedule that Mark Few can. And it's and it's solid. I mean, like they'll they they'll still play. They're gonna play Ole Miss and Texas A and M and Clemson and Virginia before they get to conference play. So there will be opportunities, but and you know, ironically, Michigan and Arkansas were two of the teams that had like some of the worst weeks of anybody in the country, especially at the high major level. But I expect those teams to still probably end up being solid wins by the end of the season. But if you lose, you know, the first game, and so you're kind of playing teams that don't jump off the page of a resume in any way, then all of a sudden this stretch of Texas A&M, Clemson, and Virginia in particular becomes really, really important to probably go above 500 in those three games because once you get to AAC play, the only team better than 86 that Kempom right now is Florida Atlantic. And there's a lot of not so awesome teams that you have to play in there. Um, and you only, and you know, and you don't get Florida Atlantic until the very end of the season. They play them twice in the final four games of the year. And Memphis from time to time is prone to losing games in the AAC that they shouldn't lose. I mean, yep. they lost to Tulane last year twice. They lost twice to Tulane. Um, and those were, the you know, other than that, they lost to a decent UCF team in Houston. Those were their only other losses in AAC play. But still... Like, you probably shouldn't lose to Tulane. It's not like you're getting a ton of other opportunities uh, when you play in the AAC like you would in a different conference. So that's part of it for me as well. And this is also not something they they totally did last year. Um, they kind of got off to a rocky start a year ago in some of their early season tests, and uh, that is not the case this year. Next on my list, let's go with Ohio State. Um, won the Emerald Coast Classic. It's one of those resident. It's one of those weeks where it doesn't completely jump off the page outside of Alabama, but they also beat a Santa Clara team that now has wins over Oregon and Stanford on the young season already. Um, Buckeyes are playing much better this year. Uh, to start, they're playing better defense. Uh, the only loss coming in a competitive game to a Texas A&M team that is top twenty in the country. So. Not a ton to say specifically here, but Ohio State now up to 25th at Kempom. They were down to 50th uh, after their loss to Texas A&M, so a big jump up there. 18th in offense, 45th in defense. They're shooting the three well like you would expect Ohio State to do, but um, playing some 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 decent defense and um, – and they have a, a a nice resume at five and one for, for Chris Holtman's teams. Uh, Chris Holtman's team six games into the season. And this is another team. I'm glad you chose them because I chose somebody else for my third one. Lots of questions coming into the season, right? I I threw them into this whole 
very interesting storylines in the middle of the Big Ten about questions about coaches and where programs are going and all this stuff. Because this is not a talent issue. I st- Even last season, I still firmly believe in the talent on this team. It just wasn't translating. And so now, like you said, they clearly have appear to have figured some things out, or at least at this point in the season have figured some things out and are playing up to their potential. To me, that's what this is. They were always capable of doing this. It just, for whatever reason, last season, it was not working. So of the teams that need to get off to a good start this season and put themselves in good position so that you don't have a bunch of work to do in conference play and you just kind of need to keep the boat afloat, they're up there on that list. And right, just picking up W's against decent teams, getting a win over USC, all of that really helps. No bad losses to speak of so far. Yeah, very good start for the Buckeyes. They're much better defensively thus far, and it doesn't, and nothing jumps off the page in terms of maybe they're just getting really lucky. It's not like teams are, you know, opponents are bottom, you know, outside of the top 300 in the three point field goal percentage against the Buckeyes or anything like that. You know, very middle of the road on a lot of those things. And they're basically right where they were offensively last year at the end of the year, but, you know, 60 spots higher in terms of, of defense. Of course, it'll get more difficult as the season goes on to to maintain that spot, um, especially when you consider last year where they were 12th in defense, um, 11th in three-point field goal defense, 10th in two-point field goal defense in the Big Ten. So that's the real test for Chris Holtman's team is to win consistently in in the Big Ten where you know they won only one time between Jan- January 5th and February 23rd last year. So we will see how they're up to the test as we get into Big Ten play, but this is a this is a good start for the Buckeyes for sure. And I misspoke. Sorry. I meant Alabama because my third winner beat USC. It's another mm, red team. I got sure. them confused. Sure. So, yeah. Alabama, always a good win. Definitely. My third winner, Oklahoma. Mm. Beat Iowa and USC. Not the most inspiring wins in the world, but – you're still undefeated. They got an average of 20 and a half points off the bench in the two games. Good balance scoring from the starting lineup. I believe it was four guys in double figures both games. And another one of these teams that could really use a good start, pick up a couple quality wins so that you've got some breathing room in the Big 12 so that you don't feel like you have to win every single home game or that if you lose to UCF on the road, for example, that that might cost you big time. I don't have too much more to say other than that, just because the the opposition doesn't really inspire me to believe something totally different about Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. But plenty of teams had bad weeks here, and this is always a challenging week, and a lot of teams pick up losses. And Oklahoma managed to not do that and pick up a couple quality wins along the way. One of those teams that you will you'll scroll through rankings or you'll scroll through Ken Palm or you'll scroll through a conference just to see where teams are have began their season and oh Oklahoma four and oh and then you go and look who they played and they just kind of beat up on a bunch of bad teams. They beat right. up on Central Michigan, Mississippi Valley State, Texas State, and UT uh UT Rio Grande Valley. That's that's 
four, that's three sub 300 Kempom teams and one sub 200 Kempom team. So there's only so much you can do to believe in a team. And it can be a downer to then go and play real basketball teams for the first time and kind of get, you know, smoked and put in your place. And so, you know, Iowa holding an Iowa team to only 67 points is impressive. Uh, Porter Moser's team is 21st at Kempom in defense. Um, Iowa is 15th in offense and has put up 110, 98, 84, 88, uh, and 85 in their other five games this year. And the outlier is 67 against Oklahoma. So that's got to mean something. They're playing good defense. They're getting enough offensively and kind of a balanced attack. And as a result, are six and zero. They'll get a couple more tests the next the next month or so uh, to kind of keep it moving. But they're unless they stumble in a very real way against Arkansas Pine Bluff, they're gonna they're gonna head into December uh, an undefeated basketball team. Yeah, you just didn't know what to expect heading into this week because they hadn't played anybody significant, and so it can go one of two ways. But now all of a sudden, at least. Right, they're piquing your interest a little bit to see if they can keep this going. Indeed, indeed. Any anybody else that you want to mention in a in a positive manner, even if it wasn't an official winner, uh, before we move to the loser side of the equation. The other team I had here is Texas Tech, mm-hmm. another program that coming off of a a rough season, lots going on in terms of coaching situation, and. They do pick up two wins. Now Michigan's in a strange spot. But they do go to a major tournament. They go two and one. You lose to the team that won the championship in that tournament. Not the end of the world. Oklahoma, to me, just walking away without a loss and probably having the better wins. Ultimately, that's why I went with the Sooners as my third winner. But Texas Tech also Mm -hmm. had a good week. Yeah. Respect. Respect to the Red Raiders. All right, let's talk losers. Who's up first? I sort of cheated again, but I just went with the Big Ten. Okay. And we decided we're excluding all of the Maui stuff we had already talked about, so that moves Purdue. And Ohio State is the other team I wanted to make as an exception to this. Mm-hmm. I did have I did have a note there, but we already talked about them as a winner. They obviously had a really good week. Uh some of the other highlights for the Big Ten included Michigan going one and two and not being able to guard anybody. Correct. Uh, Penn State going one and two and losing to the team it just took the coach and best player of. <laughs> Iowa one and one, which is fine but not inspiring. Like you said, Oklahoma figured out how to stop them offensively, and then Michigan State's got this chance to beat Arizona to get the signature win, and that doesn't happen either. You know, we just all of these teams that were supposed to be in the conversation, maybe making this interesting with Purdue. And it's just it's not really happening for any of them right now, which makes this really interesting from Ohio State standpoint of. Are they going to be able to make a run of it, you know, a top four finish in the Big Ten? Mm-hmm. We're a long way from that. Obviously, the season is very young still, but. It just feels like Purdue is miles ahead of everybody else at this point. So let's play this game. Michigan is one of my losers, so I'm I, I, you're you're spot on with the Big Ten in general. But Michigan, 
the the book is out on Michigan and they have two players that they can rely on in Doug McDaniel and Olivia Kamwa. And if those two guys aren't some variation of like 40 points, 15 rebounds and 10 assists between the two of them, at least that's what it feels like. Um, they're not going to beat very many good teams. They're just not, they just don't defend anybody. Um, let's play this game. If, Let's assume that Purdue goes, we'll be modest and say Purdue goes 15 and five and wins the Big Ten. Let's just go, let's just say 15 and five. Um, how, how many, how many Big Ten conference games are you going to have to win to get at least a share of second place if I made you pick right now? Say 13. Okay. It's one of those cases where 13. Low key feels like a lot, and twelve doesn't feel like enough. Right. Yeah, the over under is definitely twelve and a half. I think so. Because you know Illinois could go on a run where they win five straight. Michigan State could just win thirteen or fourteen and start figuring things out and look like Michigan State by March going into the Big Ten tournament. Maybe Ohio State is legit. Maybe Michigan figures out how to guard people. Maybe Maryland pulls it together. IU could hypothetically get into that 11, 12, 13, maybe. Mm. IU is but uninspiring in every single way possible right now, but so that, is kind of everybody else. Right. That's really the problem is, okay, so who is it? So, so I, mean, let me I still think you, Michigan State is there. So let me offer you this. Last year, that's exactly what happened. Purdue was obviously the best team in the Big Ten. They finished 15 and five, won the Big 12, Big Ten by three games. Indiana, a four seed in the tournament. 23 and 12, 12 and 8 in conference. Is there, like, are you confident that, like, right this second, that Michigan State is is definitely better than that Indiana team last year? And I guess without at, at, Xavier at Johnson, it probably, time, it probably, without Xavier Johnson, it probably, it probably is. But, like, right this yes. second, are you, are you for sure? If they played today? Sure. That's fun. No. Am I more confident that Michigan State is going to be the more dangerous team by the NCAA tournament than Indiana was? Absolutely. Sure. That's the difference for me. But right now, yeah, I, because of the continuity, because of Trace Jackson Davis, I I would have no problem making IU the slight favorites if they played. It's just, I, I think it's, it's interesting because it was already a, is anybody on the level of Purdue? Right. And Michigan State, being, you know, a top five preseason team, that seemed to kind of be the answer. And not only has Michigan State not lived up to that expectation, there hasn't been anybody really fill those shoes, right? Illinois has been fine. Right, right. But right, Illinois other... was always like, Illinois was always, at least in my mind, pretty clearly a tier, like a, at yeah. least one tier below. Uh, sure. Yeah, just in terms of, because... I looked at, and I really thought there was this group of four, five, six teams that were going to separate themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, they haven't done a lot of separating so far outside of right. Illinois, who hasn't really done that much other than just what they're supposed to. Right. And then lost to, and then lost to Marquette at home. So they Which, haven't really, I mean, sure. It's what they're supposed to do. I suppose. But. It's not like they the the one chance the, they have wins over Eastern Illinois, Oakland, Valpo, Southern, and Western Illinois. Right, right. I'm not exactly any more confident in 
in Illinois because Correct. they lost to Marquette at home. Correct. I'm just not any less confident either. Sure. Yep. Sure. It'll be interesting how that how the Big Ten how the Big Ten plays out for sure because right now it looks like Purdue is going to win that conference by by maybe more games than they did last year, which would yeah. be which would be impressive uh, for sure. Michigan was on my list. Um, let's go to you. Got anything else on the Big Ten that you wanted to mention? No, nope, covered it all. Uh, Arkansas is not a very good basketball team right now. They're also my second loser. Um, they've dropped from 14th all the way to 51st at Ken Palm since the beginning of the season. That's impressive. That's that's tough to do. Um, they were lucky to escape Stanford. They they could the double overtime win is the only win they have. They could be three and four and have losers of four straight instead of four and three right now. Um, you know they just don't they don't do anything well. They just they they're not doing anything well right now. There's nothing to hang their hat on. They don't shoot it awesome. They don't defend at a high level. They don't um they don't share the basketball. They're 333rd in assist to field goal made ratio. It's a lot of hero ball. It's just when you look at their roster, they don't have a lot of guys that are hanging their hat defensively. They have a lot of high volume me first guards. They don't have anybody, you know, like Anthony Black, like Jordan yep. Walsh, those type of players to kind of balance those kind of things out because it's not like they didn't have those guys last year. I mean, Devo Davis was there. Ricky Council the fourth was there. Those are high scoring guards, but they had guys like Anthony Black, like Jordan Walsh, who were really, really important last year on both ends of the floor. They don't have those guys. They replaced them with guys like Caleb Battle, who I'm really not sure other than scoring points how he contributes to winning basketball in any way i felt that way since he was at butler and at temple and again at arkansas that he's just a very one-dimensional player and if he's not scoring the basketball and he's scored the basketball fine this year that's not that he hasn't but he's not going to do a whole lot to elevate his teammates and there just isn't really any of that going on for eric musselman's team right now and it was it was not a good week for for uh, the Razorbacks. There's clearly an Anthony Black-sized hole here. <laughs> that was my biggest takeaway from the week. You talked about the assist-to-turnover ratio and the fact they don't move the ball. They also had 38 turnovers. Mm-hmm. And we're doing fine against North Carolina until they started turning the ball over, and then North Carolina started running. And that was kind of that. And they did sort of they they clawed their way back in a little bit, and you mentioned the fact right they need double overtime to beat Stanford, and then on top of all of that, Shaman Marcus having the best game of his college career, mm-hmm. and gets stretchered off the floor after a scary fall. That doesn't help either. And I I said this when Shaman Mark transferred. I love Shaman Mark, and he was showing you why in that game. Mm-hmm. They, they, North Carolina could not guard him. Yeah. And so hopefully, I haven't seen too much about his diagnosis or status. Hopefully, he is healing and and ultimately okay. That was really really scary to see. I saw that Jeff Goodman said that he was released from a local hospital and he was able to travel back to Fayetteville with the team when the team was already scheduled to return so that's good at least that there was nothing that needed to keep him there longer than longer than that so that's good but still of course 
just piling on at this point. Right. Because they would be nowhere without him. Right. From just from an on obviously his own personal health is more important, but just from an on court standpoint. And then on top of that, like you said, he's not a point guard either. They just don't have anybody that moves the ball. And so I think I'm to the point where I'm just going to stop expecting Arkansas to be good during the regular season. Hmm. But I have every every bit of confidence this is good. they're going to figure this out by March. It's just going to take them the entire season, and then we're going to wake up, and they'll probably be in the lead eight again because they are awfully talented. Here's why I might disagree with you. Who is the who's the defensive foundation of this Arkansas basketball team? Trevin Brazil. Is there anybody on the perimeter who has any interest in playing defense? Yeah, at this point, I can't give you any anybody. Here's my here's here's what I'm getting to. Um, since Musselman took over, at starting in the 1920 season, they were 57th in defensive efficiency that first year, and then they rattled off 10th, 11th, 17th, the last three years. Right now, they are 56th. We've seen, you know, and the, the offensive efficiency kind of is in a similar bar, ballpark every year. 43rd, 53rd, 54th. They're so, an inherently inefficient offensive team because of the way they play. Sure. But if you're going to be inefficient offensively, you better be good defensively. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's Tremont Mark just based off the fact he came from Houston. Maybe. That's all I'm I, I guessing at straws here. Um, my, my thought is more, I guess here's what I'll say to that. My thought is more, I would not be surprised in the least if they have a couple games in the tournament where they just score 85 points. Maybe one time they figured out and have a good defensive performance and it doesn't necessarily change how you feel about the team, but they just find ways to win because they've got the guards and the offensive firepower to just do what needs to be done in March, even if they're not a complete team. Because that, that's a very valid point about the defense. And I'm just that's just not why they win in March. They don't have games like that. That's not what they do. They win 71 to 66 in March. Yep. They they you know last year the team that blew up offensively was UConn and they lost 88 65 after winning two very similar 73 63 and 72 71 yep. games. So you know they're 162nd in effective field goal percentage. This is all defensively. Uh, 222nd in turnover percentage. Um, they they don't they 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 don't defend without fouling uh they don't guard the three point line sub 100 and two point field goal for defense they just so like they got to figure out that end of the floor because they're never going to be efficient enough with the guys that they have which is fine but the offense is never going to be something that's going to carry them deep because once every three games they're just not going to be as good off- offensively as you'd like because it'll just be an off shooting night and that's just how it's going to work. So if once we see some improvement on that end of the floor, I'll be more inclined to hop back in the, they'll figure it out, especially once we get to the tournament bandwagon. But if, if they continue to go the wrong direction defensively, then uh, I'll be concerned for sure. Yeah. I, the other part of that is that this is a better offensive team. From a pure talent standpoint. 
I mean, sure. That, I'll, that I'll wait it, for the numbers to tell me that. But in theory, the, in theory, yes. sure. In, in terms of the ceiling, right? I'm envisioning this kind of like a North Carolina thing. Now, obviously, part of that was they also made some significant defensive changes. But where it's not that Caleb Love all of a sudden turned into an efficient player. Caleb Love was efficient for an extended period of time, right? And it changed. Sure. That's that's more what I'm thinking this is going to look like if they pull this off. But we got to, yeah. There's and both a lot of, of those UNC guards would be immediately the two best players on this team. Or at least two of the top three. Because Davis and Love are better than everybody except for Montmark. That uh, I'll I'll give you that. Yes. So we'll see. You, we we shall see. I'm disappointed though. This is a team that I picked to go to the final four like two weeks ago. Yeah. So I'm disappointed. Who's next for you? Uh, my third one. We're just gonna. Wow, we had a lot of red teams we highlighted here. Let me just tell you about Stanford. Sure. Stanford has twice as many losses as they do against as they do games against high major opponents. That's tough. Yeah. You mentioned the Santa Clara loss, which is not a horrific one, but a game that if you have intentions of making the NCAA tournament, you should be winning. Jared Haas has a singular 21 season and one finish over 500 in Pac-12 play. If I read those numbers correctly, this is year eight. You have Andre Stoyakovic. And we're already in November here saying things like it took double overtime to beat Stanford. That's not great. That's really all I wanted to say. I just keep wanting this team to be better and just they're not. What makes this sting so bad is like they were really close to having a a totally respectable week, right? I mean, like you almost beat Arkansas. You only lose to Michigan by five. Ironically, those are two teams that are we've discussed already in this loser segment. So it's not like it would have been crazy awesome if they had won one of those games. But then you just have this incredibly sour taste in your mouth because the, the week ends with just getting smoked by Northern Iowa, right? You yeah. kind of run out of gas. You've had two really tough, hard fall. I mean, you've played... 10 more minutes of college basketball than Northern Iowa has over the last two days prior, right? As a result. And so I'm sure they were out of gas to begin with. And instead of like, and Northern Iowa was fine, you know, top 100 Kempom team. It's not like they lost to a, the 200th ranked team at Kempom, but you were close to having like a result or two that, could be encouraging, and instead you just just came up short in those games, and then you got smoked kind of at the end of the week when maybe you were a little checked out on the trip at that point just to kind of add salt to the wound. Right, and they're not in a position, and that's maybe ultimately what is the other really disappointing part of this for me outside of right the fact that they were close and competitive those first two games. They don't have the luxury of taking games off. Hmm. Because they haven't started well, and they lost those first two, right? You've got to re. It's not catastrophic to go one and two in, in one of these tournaments, but you got to make sure you don't go zero and three. Mm -hmm. And 
to, like you said, to not even show up in a meaningful way in that last game. It's a better Pac-12, too. It's not like there are just 10-plus wins sitting there for you. Now, the flip side is if you have a really good conference performance, then these non-con games don't matter as much, mm-hmm. hypothetically, because you're playing better teams, because Arizona's looked good, and UCLA's had some moments, and now UCLA, USC haven't looked quite as good as we thought. So maybe the Pac-12 isn't going to be that good after all. But Mm -hmm. there's a chance that you can make up for some of this. But at some point, you just got to put W's on the board. And they're coming close against the high major teams they played that, right, it's one of those, okay, which came first or which which does it say more about? Mm -hmm. The fact that Stanford couldn't beat these teams or the fact that these teams nearly lost to Stanford because all of them are in bad spots right now. But then the other part is, even if you don't win those games, help yourself by getting these, right, you know, top 100-ish Kempop wins over the Northern Iowas and Santa Clara's of the world, the good quality high major opponents, and they're not doing that either. Northern Iowa has only beaten one Division One college basketball this te- team this year. Oh, boy. They they have wins, or they're two and four with wins over Stanford and Loras. How do you spell that? L-O-R-A-S. Loras. Loras? Loras? Never heard of it before. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. So, but it has an NR next to their name on Kempom. So that's all I need to know. That's all I need to know. Um, yeah, not a great week for not not a great great week for Stanford. And a guy that's very much coaching for his job right now in Jared Haas is that's about the worst kind of week that could have happened for you. So they're now three and four with wins over Eastern Washington, Sacramento State, and Cal State Northridge. Not a ton to show so far, uh, roughly a month into the season. Um, I'm going to go a little less the sky is falling here for my for my last loser and more kind of on the, man, they just are, they're, they're so close to having an incredible start. And instead they're, it's just kind of been, a fine start. And that's, that's the Florida Gators. Um, four and two this week, they lose to Pitt, or they beat Pitt, excuse me. And they lose to Baylor. And this is kind of, I'm cheating a little bit here because Florida, this is more about their season as a whole thus far than necessarily what happened during feast week, but they lose to Baylor 95 to 91. They beat Pitt 86 to 71. That's what happened during Feast Week. But they now have wins in four and two with wins over Loyola, Amer- uh, Loyola MD, Florida AM, Florida State, and Pitt with losses to Virginia and Baylor. And those two losses to Virginia and Baylor are by a combined seven points. They've moved from 40th at Kempom, 41st at Kempom, actually, all the way to 26th. And I'm. Um, I just hope that's because I think the Gators are good. I think they have good basketball players. They have a great backcourt. I think Todd Golden. I think Todd Golden is figuring it out at the high major level. I just hope that we get deep into this season and Florida isn't one of those teams that's like top 35 at Kempom, but their resume is going to like have them sweating deep into the season because they the, the metrics will tell you that they're playing better than the preseason projections but they haven't really done a whole lot from a resume perspective yet 
because ultimately getting one of those wins against Virginia and Baylor, those are the only two teams they've played thus far that I'm po- that I'm really, really confident, if not positive, are going to be NCAA tournament teams. Florida State, maybe. Pitt, maybe. There's a world in which it could happen, but I'll, you know, hold off a little bit on that in terms of whether those teams will end up being NCAA tournament teams. And then you look at the rest of their schedule until they start conference play right after the new year, but it's, you know, Wake Forest, Merrimack, Richmond, East Carolina, Michigan, Grambling State, Quinnipiac. Like we could, we could go until 2024 without Florida beating an NCAA tournament team. Like that could happen. You know, Michigan could, you know, but also if the last week or any indication when it comes to re- if, when it comes to actually good basketball teams, I'm not confident in Michigan's ability to make the tournament. If And if nothing else, just won't be one of those things that you can kind of base your non-conference resume on is that, oh, we beat Michigan. I'm, I don't think that's going to happen this year. So we could just get to a point where Florida has some nice metrics and they're just going to have a ton of work to do in the SEC once we get to conference play. And they were so close and they've been so close the last couple of weeks to – I mean, this could be a five and one record with a win over Virginia, and it could pretty easily be a six and zero record with team wins over Virginia and Baylor. And instead, it's four and two, and still kind of searching for a win that you're probably not going to be able to find in terms of kind of the pillar of your resume until you get to SEC play. This might be one of those teams I end up going to bat for. This record isn't great but that just plays good basketball every game and loses to good teams. Yeah, we're going to have to see. But if they go, the the flip side to the idea of there aren't a lot of great opportunities left in non-conference is if they run the table the rest of non-conference, then you're in pretty good position as long as you do what you're supposed to do. You pick up a win against a Kentucky, a Tennessee, somebody in SEC play, you're in pretty good shape. The... The other part of this I'm interested in is I was not convinced by their ceiling. Clearly I was wrong because they are playing very well and proving they can be competitive with really good basketball teams. The other part of this that they've struggled with the last couple of seasons is can you be consistent enough? Can mm-hmm. you do what you're supposed to? Because clearly they're going to give themselves opportunities to get these wins. Now, whether they actually get them or not remains to be seen so far. They're over two in their opportunities, but that's what makes a Wake Forest game, a Michigan game, a Richmond game interesting to me is they could very easily win and maybe should win all of them based on what they're what they're doing. At some point, though, as much as I want to just talk about process and how it looks, you do need to win games as well. The team that kind of came to mind when thinking about this was Providence from a year ago. This is a Providence team that was finished 40th at Kempom, 21 and 12. Um, they had a stretch where they got really, really close to getting some good wins early in non-con, uh, November 19th, they lost to Miami of Florida, November 20th, they lost a close one to St. Louis. And then on November 30th, they lost to TCU. They then ran the table in December against teams. They should have ran the table against and, and Florida's remaining schedule is better. Providence ends up 21 and 12, 40th at Kempom, 13 and 7 in the Big East, respectable, 
and they're 11 and they're an 11 seed in the tournament. And there's just not a ton that you can do with an 11 seed in the tournament. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and like, I will not remember the 2023 Providence team as a team that was only good enough to be an 11 seed. Like that's mm. not really how I remember that team. Right. Jared Bynum, Noah Locke, Devin Carter, Bryce Hopkins, a lot of good basketball players. And your and you know, you look back on the conference schedule and the resume from there, and you're like, oh, okay, like that was a really solid Big East team. And but they're an 11 seed. They end up playing a team like Kentucky in the first round, and then you lose in the in the round of 64, and it's kind of a season that's like probably feel like we were better than an 11 seed that lost in the first round that that year and i just i hope that doesn't happen in florida yeah plenty of opportunities still but certainly interesting to keep an eye on certainly uh those were those were all of mine arkansas we touched on michigan and then and then florida uh what what do you have left on your on your list of losers i would like to acknowledge one more thing that occurred uh the Korean Blue Jays had scored 80-plus points in all of their mm-hmm. games. I don't want to talk about it, Josh. They scored 48. It's I, a 21-point loss to Colorado State. We're just throwing this up. We're just throwing this away and saying it's never going to happen again, right? Yes. I would love to say that. I would love to say that about the team that I said was going to have the best unit in college basketball, and that being their offense in a game where they only scored 48 points. And I hear you have people talking about Isaiah Stevens being the best point guard in the country. Very good point guard, very good player, but that's how bad they beat Creighton is that people launch padded that into does Colorado state have the best point guard in the entire country. I think the best point guard in the country might be part of the best offensive unit in the country. Just going to throw it out there. The golden Eagles. Yeah. That, th- those two things might those two things might have connective tissue. They might. Those, yeah, you might. Correlation right. doesn't equal causation, though. Yeah, you're right. You're <laughs> right. Yeah, we don't need to we don't need to talk about that any longer. Do you have another thing you want to talk about? I've got one no. more thing that I'll throw out. There. I-, I just wanted to own that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, the last team I'll throw out there is Oregon. Uh, losses to Santa Clara and losses to Alabama. Neither of those like really make you want to scream and be angry about them. But they just keep getting absolutely decimated by the by the injury bug. Um, their big guys are hurt again. Um, and Nate Biddle and Folly Dante, both of them, you know, dealing with injuries that will keep them out for multiple weeks. And I just I'm to the point where I feel bad for Dana Altman. It seems like all of the momentum keeps getting sucked out of that program every single year. And we've we leave ourselves wondering what in the world happened to Oregon. And, you know, they they lost 88-82 to a tough Santa Clara team in a game that they didn't have Nate Biddle or in Folly Dante. And then they lost to Alabama in a competitive, you know, high-scoring 99-91 game uh, where they also didn't have in Folly Dante or Nate Biddle. And it's just kind of like, man, is it ever going to let up for Oregon? Because, you know, with those guys, there's a very real argument that they're 6-0 and with a win over Alabama and there's all kinds of momentum. And instead it's feels like it's more of the same uh, from last year. And that's just, and I'm more just sad for Oregon than anything else. Yeah. It's I, they're another team that I have a hard time believing in just because of what we've seen the past few seasons. 
this idea that, oh, it's all just going to come together this time because they looked good on paper the last couple of years, too, and it hasn't happened for them. Mm-hmm. But also it needs to be acknowledged that this is not just these this group of players not delivering. Right. The injuries are a big part of the story here. And obviously that's outside of everybody's control. So there is there is grace that needs to be extended for that. And hopefully you get your big guys back. The Pac-12 delivers on expectations and has a strong end to non-conference. So you've got plenty of time to make up the ground that you might have lost while they were injured. Hopefully the committee takes into consideration the fact that you didn't have your big guys for these two games, that these, you know, Santa Clara, Alabama continue to perform well, and it's not that big of a deal at the end of the day. We'll have to wait and see, though. Yeah, last year it was guard health. This year it seems to be big man health, and it's just uh, tough for And the, And the continuity part of it, too, because they are sure. moving guys in and out with the transfer portal, and right, it's these are the returners here, the new pieces we're adding to that. This is why we're excited. They need to be on the floor together. Yeah, for extended periods of time to get the most out of this group. And yeah, they just really haven't had that opportunity. Indeed. Anything else? Caitlin Clark has another ranked matchup tonight. Another big 12 opponent. I'm curious about that. There you go. And should be after we get through Monday, should be a good week with all of the ACC SEC games on the men's and women's sides. Indeed. Indeed. Please subscribe to the Jason Fridays podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Return of the Under 8 podcast this week, weekly, uh, daily, excuse me, college basketball podcast. Get you in, get you out. Three biggest stories. Um, you can subscribe to that on YouTube. Uh, follow us on Twitter. That The show streams live to twi- our Twitter page as well. So uh, those will resume shortly after after getting through the thanksgiving holiday so be on the lookout for that and we will see you very soon thank you so much for listening to this edition of the jays for days podcast i'm josh he's josh and we will see you 